Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Huddle Up! Podcast, a special edition, if you will, during the bye week, it's presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host and partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we were just talking about it a little bit off air before we hit the old record button, but it's kind of been an odd week for covering the Denver Broncos. As somebody who's done it for many, many years now, this has probably been one. I know it's the bye week. I get all that. But this has probably been one of the most unresponsive periods of time during a regular season that I've ever seen from fans covering uh, this team. It's felt extraordinarily long and and drawn out. You know, I feel like they've played months ago, but it's only been a week in, in reality. Yeah, not much to report on, not much good news to go around. They didn't make any coaching changes, no significant changes to the roster. Coming off a two-game losing streak and going into a bye week with the season down the tubes, not a lot of hope for, you know, for the rest of the season, not a lot of room for optimism, but we are here to break down what lies ahead for the Broncos this season. Yep, and that's the thing that hopefully fans and listeners and VIP members of the site can appreciate is that, you know, whether things are going well or if they're in the tank like it appears to be right now, we're here to bring you the news, the analysis, the deep dives each and every day, each and every week, you know, come rain, sleet, or snow, if you will. So we're going to continue to do that, and we appreciate those of you who do stay engaged, care about the team, are reading the content, commenting, listening listening to the show week in a week out so we we love you guys thank you guys uh we do have a lot we want to get to though today despite this being a bye week but first just a couple of quick matters of business you guys you hear us talk about it each and every week but make sure you're following the show on twitter at huddle up pod and if you have not done this take some time leave a creative review it's helpful wherever you listen to the show but especially on itunes and stitcher also, a reminder that the show is on iHeart. Uh, you can find it on Google Play. It's on Spreaker. It's on Spotify. And always, always a special shout-out to our listeners on YouTube. You guys are awesome. We love the engagement. You're doing a great job. Keep it coming. And then one last thing here before we move on and dive into the topics for today's show, we got to talk to you once again about our great sponsor, Lightstream. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Well, did you know that you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with AutoPay, lower than the average credit card interest rate, which is over 18% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the day that you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no 
fees. And also a fun fact, Lightstream plants a tree with each and every loan that they fund. Now, our listeners are going to get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash huddle up. Again, that's lightstream, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash huddle up. As always, it's subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash huddle up for more information. Great service, great company. We love Lightstream. Appreciate them sponsoring the show. And for those of you who might be in a little bit of uh, consumer debt, some issues there, I advise you to take the opportunity to jump on what Lightstream does. They can be very helpful. Now, one thing we want to get to today before we dive into some of the more specific issues that are pressing here for the Broncos at the bye week we're going to kind of look ahead a little bit and talk about the draft. And in particular, I traveled to watch the Utah Utes take on the Oregon Ducks this past Saturday. And it was a great opportunity, of course, to see Justin Herbert, the quarterback of the Ducks, uh, against a really stiff, tough defense playing as well as anybody in the Pac-12 in a hostile environment. Now, it wasn't terrible weather as far as you know, rain, snow, it wasn't wet in that sense, but it was really cold. By about halftime, it was about 40 degrees, which isn't terrible for a football game. I get it, but it was just one of those biting kind of colds on a on an early November afternoon, evening. And Justin Herbert, I'll tell you what, Zach, he came out, and the Utah Utes defense just were merciless. They absolutely brutalized this kid. But he hung tough. Got the Oregon Ducks, despite getting into a little bit of a hole, a couple of scores they got behind early in the game, battled back. And so the things that really impressed me about Herbert, here's what I took away from watching him in person. And by the way, there were countless NFL GMs and scouts at this game. I mean, they there's a lot of attention on this kid. And we've touched on it before, and the guys on the other podcasts talk a lot about it, obviously. But this isn't considered to be one of the premier quarterback classes of recent years it's it's considered to be kind of a shallow one and really if Justin Herbert ends up not declaring for the draft and returns to Oregon for his senior year that's kind of like the 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 ball losing its bell it's not you know he's basically considered the only kind of bona fide top 10 caliber quarterback at this stage in the pre-draft process but that can change so here's what I took away from it watching him. I was thinking, well, if he does declare, I'm looking at the Giants, the New York Giants future franchise quarterback right here. But obviously the kid has great size, Zach. He's six foot six, he's two twenty-five, and he mm-hmm. uses it well. He's he's tough. Uh, he's got great mobility, great pocket elusiveness. There were some times I felt like his pocket awareness uh, awareness was not on point. Sometimes I felt like he should have recognized pre-snap where some of the pressure was going or coming from and then also just kind of feeling it while in the pocket. But that's something I think that, you know, when you consider his relative inexperience, that's something that can improve with time. But I'll tell you what, as far as arm talent, this kid is an absolute effortless thrower. I mean, he just spins that ball, and he's got a strong arm. I was reading after the game, just out of curiosity, some scouting reports uh, from some reputable sites around the, the Internet. And one thing that a common theme that a lot of them had is that, you know, he's got a strong arm. They consider it a very good arm, but not a great arm. And I would disagree with that. I mean, early on in that game, he had two or three, at least two drops. His receivers dropped passes 
because of his velocity. So, I mean, he can spin it. He's got the arm strength is not an issue for him. And then the last thing I really noticed is that he does have that competitive edge that you look for, that toughness. So I think, though, that when I really boil it down, I've done a little research on him since the game, a lot more than I had uh, beforehand. And listening to him talk, I mean, he's he, he claims to have not made any decision on what he's going to do in 2019. So I think we can put a pin in that and we just wait for more information. He's going to talk to the committee. He's going to talk to his coaches, figure out what he wants to do. But if he declares he's a guy that I could absolutely see the Broncos selling out the farm to try and move up and get. But the problem is, Zach, you're going to have a team like the New York Giants that is going to be searching for what they perceive to be that one missing piece so that they can move forward and build, which is the quarterback. Right. The the lack of quarterbacks in this draft in ups Herbert's value. It's not like last year where they had four first-round quarterbacks and you know some of them slipped past where you thought they'd go. Herbert, I like him. Your scouting report is spot on. I think he's a good um, bit a foundational clay that you can mold to your offense, but he's not yet a finished product. I like what I've seen on film. I, I didn't catch all the game against Utah, but I caught some of it. I think he went for, what, 290 and three touchdowns, something like that. That's a pretty good pretty good stat line. No picks. Uh, had them in the game. He has a good arm, like you said. I like the kid. I think you can win with him in the future. He's just not a plug-and-play franchise quarterback. He's not that can't-miss Andrew Luck prospect from years past. He's not close to that. He needs some work. And that's why some Broncos fans and some NFL draft fans want their team to wait until 2020 to go after Tua from Alabama. That's the prize. If Herbert does declare, there will be suitors all over him. That's just the the honor of being a quarterback coming into the NFL. For the Broncos to have a shot, they have to finish in the top 10. Right now, they're number eight overall. So even if they finish number eight, if he declares, he's not going to get past the Giants like you said. They need a successor to Eli. Uh, it's just a shoe and pick for them. So they would have to trade up and sacrifice multiple first-round picks, second-round picks, whatever, players. Is that worth it? Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what it comes down to. Is he worth mortgaging the future for? I don't know. It depends what they do before the draft. It's too soon to say. They need a quarterback. They need a successor to Case Keenum. Herbert, I like him. He's better than Will Greer or Drew Locke, in my opinion. It's a very weak class, but you can win with him. Would I sell the farm for him? I don't think so. But if he's on the board at number eight, let's say, and the Broncos have that pick, I would absolutely pull the trigger on him. you got to keep taking quarterbacks until you find the right one. You cannot be scared off by Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, Case Keenum. Elway has to keep acquiring QBs until he finds that franchise guy. Yeah, and I would say that if I were advising Justin Herbert, despite the fact that, you know, there's the recent history of guys like Barkley choosing to go back to school and it costing them millions and millions of dollars, I still would say Justin Herbert return for one more year in college because I just think he needs a little bit larger body of work. Even though, you know, you look at guys like Mitch Trubisky, you got basically one year of starting experience going in the top five in the draft or whatever, wherever he went. I'm pretty sure it was top five. Which kind of argues against that, but I just think if you listen, go you can go on YouTube and find some of his recent interviews and stuff. I mean, he's there's nothing wrong with the way he speaks. I mean, he, he does have a, a a presence about him, but there is just kind of a hint of immaturity there, and he's just not a mm-hmm. surefire yeah. guy. Like to me, you take away need, and you can't exactly do that when it comes to the NFL draft. But if you take away this being a, a Gottman league and the absolute relentless need for a quarterback. 
Justin Herbert, I can, I'd consider him absolutely to be a first-round caliber talent, but is he worthy of a number one overall pick? And like you said, is he the type of quarterback that a team like the Broncos, who are still flirting with the idea are uh, with, you know, are we actually in a full rebuild or are we just that one quarterback away? They're, they still, I don't think, have really come to terms with where they're at from a philosophical perspective. But for mm-hmm. a team like Denver that does have many of the pieces in place, let's face it, I mean, I wrote a piece earlier this week that talked about all the records that many of these young players are setting along the way this year, despite the three and six record. I mean, the Broncos do have a lot of exciting pieces in place, but would it be worth it? Is he that caliber of player like a Wentz, like a Goff, that you sell out at whatever cost to move up and get him? And watching him one time, now I haven't gone through and broken down game tape of game after game, film after film, but I would just say I would be hard-pressed at this stage to say, yeah, the Broncos, I mean, what, if he declares they got to do whatever they can to go up and get him without fail. I mean, he's good. He's good. Ah, I don't know. I just I, I put that on a shelf. I reserve that particular opinion for giving me a little bit more time to study his tape. But in person, I, the kid was definitely impressive. Yeah. And, I, you know, part of it is I think if he wants to declare, ultimately it'll come down to whether he wants the spotlight to himself. He, he'd he be the big fish of this draft class, whereas next year he wouldn't be. So if, if he wants that spotlight, if he wants that, that reputation of being the top quarterback selected in the draft, he'd probably declare. It's too soon to say either way. The Broncos, though, I found it interesting. They passed on Josh Rosen. And they didn't trade up. They didn't make any move for him. If you compare those two quarterbacks, Rosen and Herbert, I'm taking Rosen. And if they pass on someone like him, it leads me to believe, and there's still a lot of scouting left to be done, they won't sell the farm out for a quarterback who's not the second coming of Andrew Luck coming out of college. I, I, I wouldn't personally do that, but I want to see how they shape their future in the offseason. We know they're going to have a new coaching staff more than likely, uh, all this roster turnover. Are they going for a rebuild or they still want to compete in 2019? That will determine where they go in free agency, in the draft, at quarterback with Case Keenum and potentially a rookie. He To me, I would not go all out to get Justin Herbert. I like him. I think, like I said, you can mold him and win with him in the future. But the Broncos are facing a crossroads where they have to find that guy. They cannot keep waiting too long. They don't have that luxury anymore with the back of quarterback with Chad Kelly gone. They have to find that guy because Case Keenum is not that long-term answer. Will Justin Herbert be? I think the jury is still out. Yeah, I mean, you compare him to Rose, and the last thing I'll say here with regard to Herbert is that you know, the way that Elway views quarterbacks through that prism, he's got the size, he likes that size, he's got the big arm, and he's got the mobility. So, you know, from a prototypical standpoint of what we know Elway kind of likes, basically guys that were like him a little bit, I mean, he's traditionally obviously he's draft, he's drafted guys a hell of a lot taller than he was as a player. <laughs> right. but, but really, the overall mold, uh, I guess Osweiler maybe notwithstanding, but but Herbert, he's definitely more prototypical up a guy like Elway's Alley than a pocket statue like Rosen. So, but I'm with you. I was, I still believe. Now I know it's now. I'm, this doesn't take anything away from Bradley Chubb. He's been a phenomenal stud this far. I mean, eight sacks through nine games. He's breaking records on his own right. The Broncos got themselves a cornerstone caliber player. They didn't exactly make a wrong decision. It's not like they passed on a quarterback and then got a bust. Okay, but I still think the Broncos missed out on a great opportunity to get Josh Rosen. So, um, But, when, you know, the thing to keep in mind about this quarterback class, I've written about it, and uh, sometimes I get blowback on social media. It kind of cracks me up. But this early in the pre-draft process, Zach, it's like, look, you go back to 
2016, for example, which was not considered to be a very strong quarterback class either. And guys like Goff obviously were in the conversation for the top of the, you know, the cream of the crop as far as quarterbacks. But Wentz, you know, he was a guy that the draft Knicks really knew, definitely, and the scouts had an eye on. But from a momentum perspective, he didn't really break out and pick up that momentum until about the senior bowl. And then he just completely shattered, blew the doors down to where NFL teams were chomping at the bit, making trades um, at the at the combine. So he ends up going number two overall. This time in 2015, when he was still playing for North Dakota State, he didn't have he wasn't viewed as a number two overall caliber prospect. So what I'm getting mm-hmm. at is right now it feels like the pickings are slim at quarterback, but give it some time. Let's see how the draft process or the pre-draft process coalesces. You never know what might emerge. It, it, there's so many factors that go into it, both on Herbert's side and the Broncos' side. It, it's you know, it's only November 11th. So many things can change and will change between now and next April. It's going to be interesting. I, I want to see, like I said, how the Broncos formulate their future plans, which direction they want to go. You know, maybe they can swing a trade for a quarterback. Maybe they pick up Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe they, you know, they you never know with John Elway. There's options to be had out there, but they have to identify which direction they want to go. Yeah. So. We'll put a pin in that conversation for now. We'll get, Zach and I anyway, a lot more into the draft talk once the season's over. For now, we still have so many moving parts to analyze and talk about, including the situation at head coach. Now, when last we we talked with you, it was unclear what was going to happen with Vance Joseph. The Broncos just lost to the Texans, and he played a key role, obviously, in that crucial, crucial loss. John Elway obviously came back Monday. This is not news to anyone at this point chose to quote-unquote stay the course so what we have basically said we've been trying to tell you this for the last few weeks anyway despite what we want despite what we want to see happen the soonest that Vance Joseph is going to be dispatched is going to be at some point in December and the team might just wait till the season's over and just you know wait but one thing interesting that came across the newswire is as a candidate a guy that could make a lot of sense for the Denver Broncos is John Harbaugh, currently of the Baltimore Ravens. Now, he's a guy that's currently under contract, and he's under contract next year as well. But a recent report, this has been kind of rumbling and brewing throughout the season, but an actual report busted over the weekend that says that the Baltimore Ravens and John Harbaugh are probably going to have a mutual parting of the ways, kind of like John Fox and the Broncos did after the 2014 season. So, if... The Denver Broncos, if you're looking at the model that Elway likes and he feels like has worked out the best, I mean, John Fox, he's the third winningest head coach in Broncos history. He was a head coaching retread. Gary Kubiak came in as a head coaching retread, won the Super Bowl. So I think that that's more of the model the Broncos would prefer. I'm not saying that's what they're, they're stuck on, but I think they would prefer to get a head coach retread. What would your thoughts, Zach, be if John Harbaugh does end up available in this year's coaching carousel? Is he a guy that you could see making sense for the Broncos? Oh, I would love it. I think it's a perfect candidate for them. He's exactly what the Broncos need. It's almost a too-good-to-be-true scenario with the connections to Gary Kubiak, uh, to the Broncos' front office. I would love this coaching hire. And what NFL GMs tend to do is they counter hiring rookies with hiring veterans. I wouldn't really consider Harbaugh a retread. Yeah, he would be fired or dismissed or whatever, but he's a Super Bowl-winning head coach, and they don't end up on the market that often. I I would love the move. And what's an interesting... You know, double whammy with the Broncos hiring him potentially is you get a great special teams prowess, too. You're almost getting two coaches in one. That's where he cut his teeth. Even though the Broncos have a good coordinator as it is in Tom McMahon, 
I think you got to get a guy, regardless of who it is, Harbaugh or anybody else, you have to have a guy who has a proven resume in the NFL. No more unproven coordinators with lack of experience, whether they're, they've been a head coach or they're an up-and-coming coach, an assistant coach, a college coach. They have to be proven on one side of the ball or the other. Mm-hmm. And Harbaugh, to me, as a veteran head coach, I think that's your number one option. Failing that, you have you know the John Filippos of the world and Matt LaFleurs. But as a veteran I would target John Harbaugh, and I would target him hard. I would work to make that happen. That's a too-good-to-be-true scenario for Denver. Yeah, I mean, even John Fox, as a candidate in 2011, he'd been to a Super Bowl with Carolina, lost to the Patriots. Gary Kubiak, you know, he'd been to the Super Bowl and won Super Bowls as an assistant and as a coordinator, but not as a head coach. And John Harbaugh, you're right. It is not often that a head coaching candidate, a retread, hits the market with a Super Bowl championship on his resume. So he's a guy that I would definitely like. I didn't even think about the Kubiak ties and kind of the familial synergy there. So yeah. there's, it does make a lot of sense. On top of that, he has experience working with a prolific GM like Ozzie Newsom, who's a former player, arguably a Hall of Fame caliber GM, even though he's already in the Hall of Fame as a player just like Elway. But both those guys, you know, Newsom and Elway, very similar if you look at their track records as GMs. And John Harbaugh kind of has that working relationship. I don't think he's the type of head coach that would come in expecting to have, you know, dominant say on what is done from a personnel perspective, from a draft perspective. Obviously, I mean, just so fans understand, all head coaches have a say in who gets picked on draft day. They might not have the final say like the GM, but they all contribute. And, you know, everyone, for example, now, I know we, everyone wants to hate on Vance Joseph, and I feel your pain, trust me. Everyone wants to credit Kubiak for the Denver Broncos 2018 draft class as far as looking for the mature kids, the predominantly senior kids, predominantly kids who had been team captains. And Kubiak played a role absolutely in the evaluation and identifying those type of players. But that was more of a push from Vance Joseph. It was Vance Joseph who had more of a hand in this past year's draft, which is why you saw such a change of pace. John Elway go from big tools, athletic guys, immature players, to the type that you saw this past season that are now just killing it for the Denver Broncos. That was Vance Joseph, ironically enough. Now he's going to be heading out, and hopefully John Elway, Zach, learned a little something from what the team should prioritize when it comes to the setting their big board and setting their priorities. Yeah, you got to have the talent, absolutely. But you also have to find players with football IQ, with maturity, and with a proven track record as leaders. That's a great point you bring up about Harbaugh's willingness to work with the GM, which is never, or it could be a very, uh, you know, upsetting position for some head coaches to be in, having to take their orders from a GM who has a, a bigger ego. Jim Harbaugh would never work with John Elway. That's a powder keg waiting to explode at a moment's notice. John Harbaugh is more of the passive of the two coaches. Uh, he's easier to work with. So that's a great point you bring up. And I don't, I don't think if the Broncos hired him, he would give Elway much pushback. They also, you're absolutely right every head coach and every assistant coach and scout has their input on draft day it's ultimately the gm's call but every coach on the roster has input on who the broncos want to draft and to joseph's credit we don't give him a lot of credit because he doesn't really deserve much credit for what he's done but he did have say in this draft class and he did nail a lot of these draft picks along with elway matt russell gary kubiak if john harbaugh shook free 
I don't think they should wait more than an hour to set up a phone call. It's just the perfect option for Denver. It's exactly what they need. A steady hand, a guy who knows how to win in the NFL, gets the most out of his players. They kicked the crap out of the Broncos a few weeks ago, so you know what they're capable of. I just, I would love the option for them. If they don't go the first time route, if they don't go the college route, John Harbaugh definitely is my guy. Yeah. So just something, a a kind of feather in the cap to, to keep an eye on as we get closer toward the end of this season as it all winds down is what's going to happen ultimately with Harbaugh. But as it stands, both Harbaugh and Vance Joseph are currently employed by their respective teams. So one last thing I want to touch on, then we're going to uh, transition here a little bit, is the Denver Broncos, an interesting stat, and this has been a theme throughout the season that we've written about quite a bit on the website. We haven't really talked a lot about it on the podcast, is the fact that all year long, the Denver Broncos have been in the top five for big plays in the NFL. Now, the way the NFL categorizes or specifies what a big play is, is anything that picks up 20 yards or more. Now, as it stands, heading into week uh, 10, the Denver Broncos ranked fourth in big plays. Now, this is going to change because we're recording this Sunday evening. A lot of plays took place, obviously, in week 10. So this is going to change. But heading into week 10, the Broncos ranked fourth in big plays, having produced 45 such plays through nine games. Now, one thing, a topic that is, I think, on the minds of most fans is considering the fact that they are picking up big plays. I mean, they're not having a problem, for the most part, moving the ball and picking up chunk plays. But the question is, why is it not translating to more points and then obviously more wins? And I wrote about that in a piece over the last week here during the bye. And really, I think, Zach, you tell me if you agree with this, if you really boil it down. I mean, you can look at all where the Broncos as an offense rank against the other 31 teams of the NFL, where they really start falling out of favor in a lopsided way and falling down into the bottom third of the NFL is on third down percentages, red zone percentage, and then turnovers. If you boil that down, it really comes down to the quarterback. If you want to know why the Broncos have not been able to capitalize on all these phenomenal performances from the rookie running backs to Cortland Sutton. It really comes down to the quarterback in key situations because it's not like, I mean, Zach, if you look at at Keenum's uh, box score stats and just take away the touchdown to interception ratio, I mean, numbers-wise, he looks like he's been more than solid. But where he's really killed his own team and shot himself in the foot is just failure to execute and making boneheaded decisions in key yep. moments and those key moments of course third down in the red zone and it's just sad because those are the two areas Zach where quarterbacks that's why they get paid the big money is to execute in those situations that is why and that's what separates the wannabe franchise quarterbacks with the actual franchise quarterbacks and that is why Case Keenum is a wannabe franchise quarterback he's not putting them in good position for the most part this season he's turned over the ball in in, in the red zone he's turned it over with sack fumbles with interceptions he's not lived up to a billing and I don't want one decent game in Houston. And we talked about it on the podcast after the game. It only looked good because he had been so bad to that point. It was all relative. He has not lived up to his contract and there's no reason the Broncos have 45 big plays and they have an explosive offense. What some Broncos fans don't realize is this team, the record might not show it, but they are improved in certain aspects, big plays on offense and some parts of their defense and the run defense a lot of fans don't realize that to have 45 big plays and to have the offensive rankings where they are and case keenum where he is it speaks to that separation of talent at quarterback the most important position in all of sports they they don't have it with case keenum 
They don't have it. They should be much better than they are. They should not be three and six. They have too much talent on offense to be three and six. I also want to add coaching in there. I, I, it's yeah. a popular topic we like to talk about. But if you can't convert and if you're leading the league or near the top of the league in that category and you can't let that translate over, at some point it's got to fall in the execution of the play caller. And we all know Bill Musgrave hasn't been consistent or anything near it to this point. So if they had better coaching and a little better quarterback play, this team and this offense would not be where it is right now. I mean, this, the game against the Texans from, from Keenum was absolutely a step in the right direction. And I, and I like the term you used, though, Zach, that it's all relative. Because right. even though it was, it was progress and he didn't turn the ball over, it still wasn't anywhere near where it would need to be for the Broncos to be a dominating, winning football team. I mean, the Broncos only scored 17 points, for crying out loud. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of that had to do as well with Devontae Booker's fumble that they, he lost there. And there were some situations. But at the end of the day, the onus is on the quarterback. And Case Keenum just hasn't been able to carry the load, despite what the Broncos are paying him, and despite what those expectations are. And what he's learning is that the quarterback position in Denver – is among one of the highest pressure in all of professional sports. And, you know, it remains to be seen how how well exactly overall he's going to be able to weather those and manage and handle those expectations. But the first nine games, it hasn't looked good. So let's just hope he can continue to string together games like the one against the Texans, where at the very least, he's not turning the ball over. Now, we still have a lot to get to. We're going to go through what remains on the schedule, and then we're going to get to your questions and concerns in the mailbag. But first, we got to talk a little bit about my bookie because watching football is fun, but it is more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard us talking about it for weeks. Some of you, though, are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. And there's so much more to bet on. You got college basketball, football, of course, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports. You name it. My bookie is the one bet, though, I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. So sign up this week, and my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention that they've given away more than ten grand in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. So don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to MyBookie right now. Use promo code HUDDLE to get that 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so another uh, topic that we touched on here over the course of the bye week itself was the remaining schedule. Now, at 3-6, and six, the Broncos have seven games left to play. If they won out, they could still get to double-digit wins, but we all know what the probability of that would be at this stage. So let's go through this. I did this in written form, and I'll share with the listeners if you missed that, how I feel about this. But coming out of the bye, let's take a look at this gauntlet of a schedule that the Broncos are facing, Zach, and we'll kind of come to a a decision on both ends what the final record is going to be for the Denver Broncos. Now coming out of the bye, of course, The Broncos are going to go to L.A. to take on the Chargers for the first time this year. Now, if you look at last season, they split with the Chargers, 
but it took a last-second blocked field goal from Shelby Harris in Week 1 in order for that to happen. And then later on in the season, I think it was Week 7, they went to L.A. and got shut out. So the momentum is on L.A.'s side. Just I mean, that doesn't even count anything that's happened this year. They're sitting at 6-2. and two. I think they're now 7-2 and two as, as of the recording of this podcast. So they're feeling it. I have this as a loss for the Denver Broncos. What do you see here? I, I have it as a loss also. I will say, not to give anything away, I have the Broncos splitting with L.A., so they'll pick up the other game against them. But coming out of the bye, facing a red-hot Chargers team right now, I don't I don't see it happening in L.A. In Denver, different story, uh, so I'm with you on that one. Next, they uh, travel back home to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are coming off just a phenomenal beatdown of the Carolina Panthers. And this is a team that, you know, they don't have – the greatest defense this isn't the old steel curtain of of yore but ben roethlisberger i mean connor you got brown you got so many weapons and playmakers on the offense that it's just going to give for a team like denver that's struggling as far as talent in the defensive backfield i can't see anything but a loss even though this is at home with the steelers in week 12 I shudder to think what Antonio Brown and Juju are going to do to Bradley Roby in this game. It's going to be tough uh, for sure, no matter where it's played, who you know, what time they play to beat the Steelers. That that's just an offensive powerhouse, and they have some players on defense that can make Broncos' life a living hell that day. I don't see a win in this game, but I think they'll play this game closer to the the Kansas City games where they really have a good game plan. But in the end, it's not enough to get them over the hump. They, I don't see them winning this game. I think it's a loss, but they will play tough now. After this, though, they'll have lost four in a row, right. and then the the hot seat talk for Vance Joseph really will be heating up. So it's going to be interesting what they want to do after this game going into week 13. Then you're talking about December, which was our earliest time that VJ could be fired. So after this game, they're going to get a lot of questions, but I don't have them winning. I think they lose the next two coming out of the bye. And then they go on the road week 13. They're going to go to Cincinnati, where traditionally they've always had a hard time winning, even though the last time they went there was Trevor Simeon's best game as a, as a Bronco through four touchdowns on the road. Shane Ray had three sacks for fans who can think back to that game in 2016. I think it was week four. But I don't see him beating the, the Bengals on the road. Do you? That feels like forever ago. I actually have the Broncos winning this game. I have yeah. them upsetting. Yeah, I have them upsetting the Bengals in this game. I don't know. Just a gut feeling for now. Maybe they make a coaching change. Maybe they win one for the new Gipper. But I do have them beating the uh, Bengals in this game. The second road game on this stretch is at the Niners. This is where I finally, coming out of the bye, I have the Broncos losing their first three games, but then winning this one. What do you see happening on the road uh, in the Bay? I, I do have them winning this also, and it's uh, interesting. It's the first Kyle Shanahan-Vance Joseph regular season matchup, what the Broncos have and what they could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have them winning this. Maybe with Garoppolo it would have been a different story, but I think they'll feast on C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins, whoever's starting for them at this point. So, you know, in, in typical Broncos fashion, they'll win a couple games. They don't have no <laughs> real reason to win. They ruin their draft position, but I do have them uh, beating the Niners and putting together a rare winning streak. Then the Broncos come back home to take on Baker Mayfield, the guy that everybody almost in Broncos country was pining for in this past draft, but he was just completely out of reach. The the Cleveland Browns had no intention or interest in trading the first overall pick because their hearts were set on Baker Mayfield. I have the Broncos, though, even though I could see this one going either way, I have the Broncos winning this game. What do you see? I have them losing this one. I, I Baker Mayfield... 
every time I watch the kid play, I, I think back to how bad I wanted the Broncos to draft him. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. I, he was by far, in my opinion, the best quarterback coming out of this draft class. And he's going to be too much for the Broncos, I feel like. Uh, and the defense for the Cleveland, they're not getting a lot of credit. But I think John Dorsey killed it there. And they're going to give Case Keenum problems. So I have the Broncos losing this game. Yeah, I think it'll be the first time that Von Miller and Miles Garrett will share the field call, together. Good call. So, and then the Broncos go on the road to play the hapless Oakland Raiders. Once again, they beat them. It took a second-half comeback. This That felt like ages ago when things were quite not as off the rails for the Raiders as they are now. But I see this, despite it being on the road, and we all know Vance Joseph's record as a, as a head coach on the road, but I see this as a win for Denver. What do you got? All right, yeah, whereas they beat the the Bengals and they upset the Niners to some extent, I do have the Broncos actually losing this game. Um, it's just one of those games where they should win and they they should have no problem winning. They just come up short. Uh, just a funny feeling I have playing Gruden late in the year at Oakland. I think they come up short in this game, and all the goodwill they accumulated to that point just goes up in the air. Wouldn't surprise me. It really would not. And that's the thing with this team is you just don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. Now, Finally, we have the L.A. Chargers at home in Week 17. And this was one that I kind of had a little bit of a difficult time picking in the written piece just because you know that the odds – we don't know this, but, I mean, it could a lot could change between now and then. But it looks like the Chargers are going to be more competing for a wild card as opposed to the AFC West crown. If they have something to play for, you're going to get their best shot at which point I have a hard time seeing the Broncos win in this game. But they, this could also be the type of game in which they're mailing it in, resting their starters. But ultimately, I chose this as a loss for the Broncos in Week 17. That's a good point. And I, I have the Broncos, like I mentioned already, splitting with the Chargers, so this is a win for them. Um, I don't know. Just a feeling maybe it'll be snowy. Denver, uh, they want to win one final game in front of their home fans. They want to win one for either Joseph or the new coach, whatever. Um, I do have them upsetting the Chargers. And if L.A. has nothing to play for, obviously, it, it you know bodes well for the Broncos. Uh, it's going to play out, I think, a lot to last season's uh, finale against the Chiefs, except they actually win this game. So I do have the uh, Broncos winning this game and going to seven and nine on the year all right so there you have it now for me i fit i picked the broncos to finish at six and ten and that would be a single game improvement over last season which obviously for two full seasons as a head coach for vance joseph to only win 11 games would be the first time since 1972 that the denver broncos will have lost or will have posted back-to-back losing seasons so i don't think there's any way in which this guy survives at this point and lives to fight a third season in Denver. How sad is it, though, that everyone coming into the season predicted 9, 10, 11 wins, easier schedule, better roster, and they're going to only be better by a win or two from last year? It's it's really sad, and it speaks to the, the lack of coaching on this team once again. They have so much talent, and to finish the season with another double-digit loss campaign, potentially, they go 6-10, and 10, it's just uh, it really is a shame to see how far the Broncos have fallen in recent years. Okay, so we move on. Last thing here, and then we're going to get out of here, is the Mile High Mailbag. Because whether there's a game going on or not, a game to react to or not, Zach and I are here to be your football priests each and every week where you can we can offer you that, that absolution, the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And there's still a lot on your minds this week with the Broncos on a bye. This first question here comes from Braden Miller, who asks on Twitter, who are the candidates to be cap casualties this coming offseason? Derek Wolf, Brandon Marshall, Todd Davis, Stuart Leary. Who do you got, Zach? 
Uh, he nailed it. All those players are potential cap casualties. I would have thrown Demarius Thomas in there, but I think he's safe. They're not going to cut Todd Davis. He's actually having a, a quietly good uh, season for the Broncos. It'll be Brandon Marshall, who's either traded or cut. Uh, Wolf, yeah, that's up in the air also. I could see the Broncos. They It would save a ton of money by getting rid of him. Um, maybe Case Keenum, if, if the stars align, they make a shocking move, but I think he's on the roster. He's up in the air uh, if they do get another quarterback, though. You nailed it, though. The Broncos are going to trim the fat this offseason. They're going to have a ton of veteran turnover. They're going to make this roster younger, uh, more athletic, but also they're going to enter kind of a rebuild. So your favorite Broncos stars all of them, except for Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, maybe Chris Harris Jr., they're all untouchable. So, I mean, touchable. So I think the Broncos will have a lot of turnover and starting with those players that were mentioned. The only guy there I'd, I see is, is probably surviving if he continues to have a passion to play is Derek Wolf, just because of what he means to the team and his play has not fallen off. So Derek Wolf's the only guy I would kind of put to the side so long as he still wants to continue playing football. I think the Broncos will make a place for him. But one thing to keep in mind, too, Brayden, and those of you listening, is that I wrote about this on Sunday as well. Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com, he uh, reported that the Denver Broncos currently, as it relates to the other 31 teams in the NFL, have the seventh most snaps of players poised to be free agents next year. Mm -hmm. So that means the Broncos have a lot of contributors right now that John Elway doesn't have accounted for beyond 2018. And between you, me, and the wall... I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing, Zach, because most of the players on that list, Brandon Marshall, let me, let me go through it like this. Derek Wolf, the player he is today, can the Broncos find a better player in the draft this coming season? Yeah, just quick answer, yes or no? Uh, they could. It depends what pick they have. Brandon Marshall. They already have the better player on the roster. Todd Davis, even. I think he's safe, but they could upgrade on him for sure. Darian Stewart, is there a better player than him they could find day one Easily. of the draft? Okay. Easily, yeah. And even Ronald Leary, who, you know, he's a great leader. I think that's probably the best asset that he's got. He's a really good run blocker, and he's okay in pass protection. But the complete package is really highlighted by the fact that he's a great leader, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy for the Denver Broncos. Now, I haven't perused the cap. I don't know exactly what the consequence would be of moving on from Leary, but a lot of this has to do, Braden, with whether or not where the Broncos are poised from a philosophical standpoint. If they are truly viewing this coming season as a rebuild and a reprioritization of how they approach personnel and roster building, then all bets are off, with the exception of the guys Zach mentioned, your Millers, your Chubbs, your Harrises, and even Wolf. So, Keep an eye on that. We'll, we'll dive a lot more into it as the season draws to a close. But the next question here comes from Dylan Von Arks on Twitter. Who is your favorite prospect, Zach, coming out of college this year? Uh, there's so many on, on the defensive side of the ball. Very, very, very talent-rich class there. Uh, obviously, Nick Bosa is probably a top three pick. He's going to be a beast in the NFL, just like his brother. I'm a big Ed Oliver fan, the big DT from Houston. Uh, there's a lot of good trench players in the draft this year. I like Greedy Williams, the cornerback. The Broncos are going to need either a defensive lineman, an offensive lineman, or a corner probably in the first round of the draft. And fortunately for them, I mean, even have Devin White from LSU, the inside linebacker, there's a lot of defensive talent in the top of this draft. And it'll bode well for the Broncos if they don't go offense with the first pick. They're going to look for those positions, and fortunately, the blue chip prospects should be there. Yeah. I mean, I think the more interesting way to answer this for me is just what what are the Broncos going to do early in the draft, first round? And unless they don't view 
the quarterback situation of being worthy of wheeling and dealing and moving up and taking a quarterback, I really see them addressing their cornerback situation because I'm going to assume that Bradley Roby is not part of the future here. And I'm going to assume, obviously, Tremaine Brock, Adam Jones. I mean, that's three of your top four corners gone in 2019. So if the Broncos do not take a quarterback in the first round, I think you're going to see them take a corner. Now, our next question, we move on to Aquaman, great listener of the show, longtime listener. Aquaman says, looks like we're keeping Keenum for next year. Who do you think will be the backup, a vet or a later round draft pick? And then he puts in parentheses, I'm assuming our first pick is too late for a stud quarterback. But what's your answer? What do you think the Broncos will pursue as a, as a backup quarterback next year? Chad Kelly. <laughs> that he gets his life together and the Broncos resign him. No, it's going to be – it's tough because they have a hold-of-four guy right now with Case Keenum. They don't have a, a long-term starter, and they don't have a young guy. They're kind of stuck in the middle. It all depends, like you said, Chad, a couple times this episode, on which direction they want to go in. It, it's a it's a philosophical decision that Elway has to make that changes the course of the whole franchise. What they want to do, how they approach the season, their draft picks. If they keep Case Keenum, they'll go with a younger quarterback to develop behind him. If they get rid of Keenum, then all bets are off. They can trade for a starter. They can draft Herbert potentially, um, you know, Locke, Greer. It all depends on the on the decision and the course that Elway chooses for the Broncos going forward. I think Keenum is safe, though. They would just it, it would be too much of a of a dead money disaster to get rid of him next year. I think he's only under contract for one more year. You have a hold the fourth starter if you want to draft a young guy or sign a young guy, whatever. Um, I think they'll go young in that position, though. They have to find a guy they can build on. They had it in Kelly. They don't have it anymore. I agree 100%. Because even if the Denver Broncos don't take a quarterback in round one, they are going to draft a quarterback. So you're going to have some some new blood, some young talent there. And with Case Keenum being that stopgap, holding the fort down, keeping the seat warm, whatever, they're just missing that long-term developmental stud. And even a first-round quarterback would be a long-term developmental guy. He's not going to play right away, especially with Keenan making the money that he is. And the one thing I'll say here is could you imagine at least the complexion the rest of this season would have if Chad Kelly hadn't gotten out, gotten, uh, gone out and gotten arrested? Because we'd be talking about – odds are we'd be talking about an exciting prospect of the 3-6 and six Denver Broncos coming out of the bye with Chad Kelly starting at quarterback. What a difference that would make. It would give the fans a reason to tune in for the rest of the year, as opposed to right now where there's nothing to watch for. It, it, I said it then, and I'll say it again now, he couldn't have picked a worse time to mess up his career, at least in the short term. I, I was rooting for him on a personal level, professional level. Uh, as you know, as someone who covers the Broncos, it was exciting to see a backup quarterback kind of you know take charge of the room. It's just so unfortunate that he messed up when he did because he was ready to take over. And we'd be seeing Chad Kelly start game for the Broncos, as crazy as that sounds, sooner than later. Here's a good question. Now, we already answered one from Dylan Von Arks, but he brings up another one here. I'm just going through the thread here on Twitter. He says, are there any depth players currently that need to see more time on the field? So you're going down the stretch or remaining seven games. Odds are you're not competing for a playoff berth. Even Case Keenum said he wouldn't even look beyond a single game in his last podium uh, time at the podium on Wednesdays, like getting asked questions from the media about what's it going to take to make the playoffs? Do you believe you can make the playoffs? Yada, yada, yada. And he's just like, look, all I can control is the next game, and so that's all I'm going to focus on. But it's seven games. We know the Broncos aren't going to make it. Who are some of the depth guys that you feel like need to see more time? One guy I'm going to throw out just real quick. I want to see more Isaac Yadam. 
How about you? I was just going to say Isaac Yadam, uh, one of the younger players who hasn't contributed. Whether or when the Broncos play their young guys, though, is dependent on Joseph. He's the type of coach that will wait until it's absolutely necessary when they're totally out of it to play them. Uh, I want to see more Josie Jewell. I want to see more Deshaun Hamilton. I want to see more Yadam because I haven't been impressed with Adam Jones, uh, Tremaine Brock. They have to find uh, Demarcus Walker, of course. I want to see what he can do, maybe starting a game. Um, I want to see um, more Joe Jones at inside linebacker because Boom. they might lose uh, Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis potentially. I want to see more Tim Patrick. I want to see more young guys get a shot on this team because they're going to rebuild this roster. Whether LA admits it or not, a lot of veterans, like we got a question about, they're all going to be gone more than likely. They have to see what they have in their young guys to see who's worth keeping and who's worth getting rid of. For what it's worth, and I've written about this multiple times, we've talked about it on the show, I am just dying to see what Joseph Jones can do at linebacker because Same. he's been an absolute beast and a maven for the Broncos on special teams. He currently is tied for the fourth most special teams tackles on the season through nine games So wow. in the league. So he's doing a great job, and he's just so intense. He's smart. I want to see this kid on the field, but I don't disagree with any of the guys you named there, obviously. With Vance Joseph, you said it. You're not going to really see a push toward those guys until week 16, week 17. But I think there's a chance we'll at least see more of Yadam and Walker in the in the interim. Now, one more question here. Well, maybe two. From Matthew Slagle. Reports of Harbaugh and the Ravens mutually parting the ways at season's end after a loss. What are your thoughts about him being the possible head coaching candidate? And if it were him, here's we've already addressed that, but if it were him, who would you like his staff to be as far as the coordinators? Do you have anyone in mind or at least a prototype in mind, Zach, of offense, defense you'd want to step in as coordinators? I, you know, new coaches typically pick their own guys, like it was said, and I don't, I'm not too crazy familiar with the Ravens coaching staff, but he'd probably try to impart some of his Raiders, uh, excuse me, Ravens assistants onto the Broncos, give them jobs. I'm not too familiar with them. I know Morningwick is our OC. I don't think he's going to come over, but you know, he'll look at the younger staff, you know, the assistants, the, the assistant quarterback coach, let's say the assistant wide receiver coach. I don't have a particular name in mind, but just getting John Harbaugh in itself is an upgrade for this team, both as a head coach and as a guy on special teams. So no names in mind just yet, but whoever the Broncos hire will want to bring in his own guys by poaching the current staff that he's on. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, to see Bill Musgrave remain as offensive coordinator if the Denver Mm -hmm. Broncos hired a guy like Harbaugh that has ties to Kubiak and you know, because Musgrave can, the, for whatever reason, the Broncos, Brass, love them some Bill Musgrave. But thinking outside the box, I'm not saying that's going to happen. To answer the question more specifically about offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, I honestly don't care who it is as long as it's not Wink Martindale, the current defensive coordinator <laughs> of the Ravens, who was once a coordinator here in Denver under Josh right. Daniels. But anyway, I want to see the Denver Broncos embrace. I know they don't have the exactly the ideal quarterback for it but from an offensive perspective I want to see the Broncos embrace more of the spread innovations and the and the RPO type of concepts that are just predominating the NFL the Broncos just feel like they've been on the tail end of NFL offensive innovations of late and I just think getting and maybe that's what it'll take is getting a head coach that can think that way you know because that's what they really missed out on in Kyle Shanahan is that you know, he came from a West Coast offense. I mean, he's the datgum son of Mike Shanahan, one of the 
greatest proponents of the West Coast offense. So he grew up under that, under Kubiak in Houston, but he's also done a great job of keeping kind of the bones of that philosophy and then melding it with the type of current cutting-edge innovations that are predominant in the NFL. So I would like to see something like that from a coordinator perspective. Joe Woods, though, on the other side, let's face it, he's not it. The Broncos are definitely going to be looking for a, a, a more proven, I think, defensive coordinator to come in and and capitalize on the talent that they do have defensively. They, they're lacking in the cornerback and in some safety situations there, but they have way too much talent to be as middle of the road right now as they are as a defense. And then here's the last one from Deion Hicks. Then we're going to get out of here. What do you guys think about Will Greer? Would he be a good pick? Zach, have you spent any time looking at Greer? Yeah, he's a ton of fun to watch in college. And but he's one of those guys I think is a better college starter than NFL starter. You you it would take a dedicated coaching staff and a very experienced and talented one, like a McVay or a Shanahan, a Doug Peterson, to work with him and get the most out of Will Greer because he's far from a finished product. He has some big flaws put on tape and he has some positives, but he has some stuff to work on. I wouldn't spend a first round pick and immediately insert him as a starter. And if I were the Broncos, I would not touch him because you don't have the coach right now to develop him. Now, that can change if they hire a DiFilippo, Matt LaFleur, anyone like that. But as of right now, I, I like Greer. I just don't see a starter in him, and I would not want the Broncos to burn a top 10 draft pick on him and immediately try to plug him in there as a starter. That would not be successful. Well, we'll get more into the quarterbacks and the draft as, as the season winds closer to an end at the very least. But that's going to do it for today, you guys. Thanks for joining us on this impromptu week 10 by edition of the huddle up podcast you can find my partner zach kelberman on twitter at kelberman 24 7 and myself at chad and jensen zach also at least once a week uh twice a week actually does a facebook live on the denver broncos on 24 7 sports facebook page so make sure you stay tuned for that i try to do them at least twice a week as well from the mile high huddle facebook page and then make sure you guys are subscribing you don't want to I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in these final seven games. We're, we're pretty sure they're not going to make the playoffs, the Broncos, but who knows what could happen. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. And don't forget to rate the show. You guys, leave a five-star rating, okay? For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.